Hi there, I'm Pastor KJ, and I am I'm kind of in the spot that I've been super inspired by the sermon series that's been happening on family. Uh, there's been these key components and very tangible things um, that I've been challenged by, and I've been inspired to think about um, the idea of church from a, a totally different perspective uh, that I've had. And and go, going f- forward in today's sermon uh, by Pastor Allen, the thing I'm going to ask you to do is to find a place to actually hear the sermon that you are about to hear. The topic is, is speaking the truth. And the things that are about to be shared, I think, are really um, inspiring, important, and ch- challenging. Uh, so if there's an opportunity to kind of take a pause um, so that you're able to truly focus on the time to come, that would be incredible because I think you are going to enjoy it. So here we go. Hey, Christ community, so glad to be with you today. Man, I love being a part of your journey with Jesus. Uh, Speaking of that journey, I am going to be teaching um, the Experiencing Intimacy with Jesus class again starting February 9th. It'll go for seven weeks. There's more information about that on on our app and in our newsletter. I'd love to have you be a part of that. So we are in week four of a five-week teaching series where we are focusing on this idea of connection. How can we grow in our relational connection with others? Both science and scripture strongly affirm that a crucial part of us as humans thriving and flourishing is directly related to our experience of relational connectedness. Not only were we created by God with this need and longing for connection, God also has established a context in which we can actually experience these kinds of connection. And that context is the church. So in this series, we're exploring how God's initial design for the church is for, for it to be a family, a safe place for people to experience healthy relational connection. In, in a world that is filled with relational brokenness and dysfunction, followers of Jesus can provide a place for all people to experience family. I got a, an email last week from someone in our church whose father had just passed away tragically, and, and she expressed in this email gratitude for the various ways this church has been family to her in this season. People offering to pray for her, someone choosing to sit with her during a worship service. I mean, she shared all the sorts of specific ways that people in this church have been family to her in a really dark season. That's how God designed this church to function. That's that's a crucial part of the vision we as a church are pursuing. We want to be a thriving family. So in this series, we've been looking at a passage in the New Testament where we see the church living as this thriving family. It's found in Acts chapter two. Each week, we've been focusing on a particular practice that enabled these people to experience deep relational connection. And we began week one by talking about the foundation for deepening relational connection. That foundation is commitment, a willingness to make relational connection a priority in our lives. Then in week two, we talked about the second critical element of relational connectedness, and that is acceptance. 
having a heart posture of acceptance toward everyone. We talked about how biblical acceptance has nothing to do with agreement. It is a posture of the heart that Jesus demonstrated towards others. Then last week, we looked at a third critical aspect of relational connectedness, and that is vulnerability, a willingness to allow ourselves to be known by others, to acknowledge our weaknesses, our struggles, our fears. And that vulnerability, when received with empathy, is like a relational super glue that enables deeper connection with people. Now, all three of those elements, commitment, acceptance, vulnerability, empathy, those things are critical for relational connection, but they are not the complete picture. You can have all three of those in a relationship, but without this fourth element, we will miss out on deeper relational connection. And we see this element in the first verse of Acts 2, 42. We read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. See, as these new believers in Jesus are gathering and experiencing this relational connection, a critical part of that connection is truth. The the apostles were teaching the truth of Jesus. These apostles had followed Jesus for three years. They had seen his miracles firsthand. They were in the boat when he calmed the sea. They They were, you know, saw the blind man receive his sight. And they also had heard Jesus teaching. They were there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. They were there when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. I mean, these guys did life together for three years, eating together and walking together. If you're around someone 24-7 for three years, you will get to know them. So when these apostles in Acts 2 start teaching these new believers, what are they teaching? There were no New Testament Bibles around. I mean, Jesus had just ascended into heaven only a few weeks before. So what are they teaching? They're teaching about Jesus. They're teaching about his life and about his death and his resurrection. They're teaching about what it looks like to align our lives with Jesus' kingdom, to follow him, to love our enemies, to be generous, to walk in love and holiness. I mean, no doubt these apostles were also teaching about the Holy Spirit, in us, empowering us to follow Jesus. I mean, they they had just experienced the power of the Spirit in a dramatic way, and now they're seeing the Holy Spirit of Jesus do miracles through them, healing and all that stuff. All of these things represent the truth that Jesus embodied and lived out. So these, these new believers in Acts 2 were committed to aligning their lives with the truth of Jesus. And that commitment had a huge impact on their relational connectedness. See, when when I talk about the church being a unique place in our culture for people to experience relational connection, I believe it is a unique place for people to experience relational connection. When When I talk about that, this is a crucial part of what makes the church unique. We are centered upon the truth of Jesus. There is a core embodiment of truth that unites us. Jesus is our truth, period. Now, our world may look at that and say, oh, how closed-minded, how archaic, et cetera, et cetera. But in saying that, what they don't realize is that Jesus is the most wonderful, whole, relationally healthy person who ever lived, which means that life is found in embracing Jesus as truth. This is so important. When when we talk about truth being essential to our relational connection, we're talking about a person. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. Jesus is truth. In other words, truth is relational. It is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. So why is this important? It's important because too often in the history of the church, we have weaponized truth. We've taken the truth of Jesus and turned it into a weapon to beat people up, to shame people, to conquer people, i.e. the Crusades. But the truth of Jesus is not a weapon. It is embodied in a person, which means that embracing Jesus as truth is not simply about knowing the right information. It's also about treating people the way Jesus treated people. When we embrace truth in such a way that we treat people the way Jesus treated people, we will experience deepening relational connection because again, truth is relational. Truth is a person, the person of Jesus. So what does it look like for the truth of Jesus to be at work in our relationships, enabling them to go deeper? Well, in order to explore this further, <clears throat> I want us to look at a passage of scripture in which we see Jesus embodying truth in a very powerful way. It's found in the book of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Okay, so, so as Jesus is there in the temple courts, people are, are gathering around, and he begins to teach. He's wanting to communicate truth. Verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, notice <clears throat> these religious leaders, they are committed to truth. They know the Old Testament. They, they are quoting the law of Moses, but they're using truth as a weapon to try to trap Jesus and also to publicly shame this woman. And not, not only that, apparently they're ready to kill her. I mean, this is what it looks like when truth gets weaponized rather than personalized. I mean, this is happening in our culture all the time. People are using truth to hurt and damage others politically or socially or whatever. And it is creating these huge relational chasms. Okay, so how does Jesus respond? But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is absolutely brilliant and so incredibly instructive. Jesus vividly shows us here what it looks like to embrace him as truth, especially in a world like ours, okay? So let me mention three things that describe how we can embrace Jesus as truth in our relationships. First, it's by acknowledging that truth is ultimately defined by Jesus. 
Notice in this passage, Jesus is not obeying one of the, the of Moses' commands. I mean, Jesus is disobeying the Bible. <laughs> How can he do that? Well, it's because the Old Testament is not the full revelation of God. Jesus is. I love how John articulates this earlier in his gospel in John 1. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made that, this, this one has made him known. See, John is pointing out here that the law given through Moses was incomplete. Jesus completes it by showing what God is like. Jesus is full of grace and truth. That's what God is like. In Jesus, we see that truth is embodied in love. And that's what that, and that's, the, and, and, and that Jesus defines then what truth, that truth looks like. Okay, so what does this mean practically speaking? It means that every passage of scripture is to be looked at through the lens of Jesus. And if we are ever using truth, even biblical truth, in such a way that it doesn't look like Jesus, we are missing the point and probably doing some significant relational damage. Jesus shows us not only what truth is, but what it looks like. Now, the second way we can embrace Jesus's truth in our relationships is by speaking the truth to ourselves. In this passage, the religious leaders bring before Jesus this woman caught in adultery, wanting to kill her, and they have the law of Moses backing them up. But Jesus' response is fascinating. Initially, he doesn't respond. He bends down, he starts writing in the sand. There's a lot of speculation about what he was writing. Some suggest that he may have been writing the names of the mistresses that certain men in the crowd had, but, but they keep pressing him for an answer. And so finally he stands up and he says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a, throw a stone at her. And then he bends down again and he keeps writing in the sand. And soon the leaders begin to walk away, starting with the oldest first. They knew he had them. Why? Because he had brilliantly shifted their focus of truth by pointing the truth at them, forcing them to look at their own lives, at their own sin. Before we ever speak the truth to someone else, have we opened our heart to the Lord and examined our own lives as it relates to his truth? I mean, this is where the truth of who Jesus is gets really relational. It gets really personal. It starts with me. How am I allowing the truth of Jesus' life and teaching to convict and transform me? What we're talking about is a humility that instinctively points the truth at ourselves before we would ever go point out something in someone else's life. Who can forget the imagery Jesus uses in Matthew 7 about the person with a log sticking out of their own eye and they go over with this log, they go over to point out a speck of dust in someone else's eye. I mean, it's a hilarious picture 
and yet incredibly convicting. I mean, so often we want to use truth to confront other people, and yet we haven't honestly looked at our own heart. Like the religious leaders in John 8, we may be eager to publicly point out the sins of some segment of our society, but have we honestly looked at our own sin, our own sexual brokenness, our own relational dysfunction, our our own greed, our own prejudice, our own idolatry, our own anger? When we use truth to confront others, but we have not let that truth speak to our hearts, we become hypocrites standing there with stones in our hands ready to destroy someone without looking at our own sin. I mean, how many times have I angrily judged and condemned someone who I see texting while driving And yet a few minutes later, I'm tempted to take out my own phone at a stoplight and respond to some text. I mean, why am I so comfortable with this double standard? Again, Jesus is inviting us into a posture of humility as it relates to truth, a willingness to continually let the truth of Jesus speak to our own hearts, which can have a profound impact on our relationships. I mean, how many marriages are stuck in this place of blaming and focusing on the fault of the other person? And it feels like there's no way forward, right? Well, there actually is a way forward. It's when each person humbly allows the truth of Jesus to speak to their own hearts first. (laughs) Rather than finger pointing, we allow the spirit of truth to point first to us. I heard a, a pastor share recently share about how every day in his prayer time, he prays through the Beatitudes and, and examines his heart and his relationships in light of those words of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, imagine the impact in our relationships if we allowed the truth of Jesus' words and teaching to first permeate our own hearts. Well, the third way that we can embrace Jesus' truth in our relationships is by speaking the truth to others. Speaking the truth to others. Look again at what happens next in this passage in John 8. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is so beautiful. The first thing he says to her is to ask her a question. Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And when she says no one, sir, he then says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus offers her complete acceptance, as we talked about two weeks ago. Apparently, according to Jesus, our job is not to condemn people, to use truth as a weapon of condemnation and shame. Well, so what then is it to be used for? Well, to point the way to life. That's what the truth of Jesus is all about, a, way, a pathway to life. Jesus says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't condone her sin, but he also doesn't use it as a weapon. He uses it to point her to a different way of living, a more life-giving way of living. But, But here's what's fascinating. We don't know whether she obeyed him or not. 
We don't know. All we know is that Jesus demonstrated love, acceptance, empathy, and then invited her to choose to walk in his truth. As I mentioned a few weeks ago in the, in the message on acceptance, the, the, the order here is really important. Jesus didn't lead with truth. He led with acceptance and grace. And then in that place, invited her and urged her to follow his way. I mean, can we, can we just admit that this is a much more difficult route? It is so much easier to just throw out our truth grenades without any concern about the relational damage. And then we justify it. Oh, just saying, I've said my piece. I've spoken the truth. I mean, that's technically true, but you aren't embodying the truth of Jesus. Truth is fully embodied by us when we look like Jesus and respond like Jesus. If we proclaim truth in a way that doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus toward this other person, we have not really communicated truth. We can communicate truth in a way that brings life or in a way that brings death. The Pharisees communicated truth in such a way that brought death and shame. Jesus communicated truth in a way that brought life and healing and hope. Again, if we proclaim truth, if we proclaim truth in a way that doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus towards this other person, we have not really communicated truth. Jesus is truth. Truth always looks like Jesus. Now, let me be clear. Speaking the truth in love to one another is a vital part of relational health. It really is. And and sometimes it takes courage to do that. I want people speaking into my life if they see things that don't reflect the heart of Jesus. I mean, have you ever had that experience where you're in a meeting with some people and then you go to the bathroom and you notice you have some food from lunch on your face or your zipper was down or whatever? I mean, what's your instinctive response? Why didn't anyone tell me? Well, it's because the people in that meeting didn't have the courage to love you. Someone who really loved you would have pulled you aside and said, your zipper's down or there's food on your face. They want what's best for you, even when it means saying something like that. Going back to Jesus' analogy about the log in our eye and the speck in another person's, having a speck of sawdust in our eye is not fun. It doesn't feel good, right? To have something like that, it doesn't feel good. So it's really helpful to have someone gently point it out and remove it. I mean, that is always to be our heart in sharing the truth with others. It's because we want what is best for them. They may not receive it. They may not agree. But as long as we lead with acceptance and love, the relationship can still be intact. And if they do listen and respond well, we will have helped point them to a deeper experience of Jesus. Now, it is interesting to me that whenever we talk about speaking the truth in love to someone— we automatically assume it's something negative, right? We just assume it's something negative. But when Jesus is our foundation for truth, so much of what we share can be positive and life-giving. We can affirm what the Bible tells us about how Jesus sees this other person, how much he loves them, how he has a purpose for them. To speak the truth in love includes words of affirmation and encouragement, words that remind this person who Jesus is and how he feels about them. Are we listening for things the Holy Spirit might want to say to someone in our lives, things that bring life and encouragement and hope? I mean, you have the Spirit of Jesus within you. 
the spirit of truth, whom Jesus said would reveal all sorts of things to us. The question is, are we listening to his voice on behalf of other people so that we can share with them these beautiful things that he has for them? By the way, we have a listening prayer class coming up Saturday, February 5th. You can learn about how to better hear the Spirit's voice. You know, I was praying together with someone the other day, and as he was praying for me, he said to me, you know, I, I feel like the Lord just brought a word to my mind for you. And, and he said, I heard two phrases, both of which were spoken with gentleness and yet with strength. So I, I was really intrigued with what he was going to say. And then, he, he, and then this is what he said. He said, here's what I heard. Alan, I have, I have never failed you and I never will. The moment I heard those words, the moment he said those words, I started to tear up. I mean, it was like water to my soul. It was truth from God's word, but it felt very personal as this person was listening to the Lord on my behalf and then chose to share with me what God had laid on their heart. I mean, what would happen if we were willing to listen to the Lord on behalf of others and share the positive things we sense God placing on our hearts for them. And what impact might that have on our relationships? I was talking recently with some friends, <clears throat> a married couple who are part of Christ's community, and they, they were at one of our services a few weeks ago. And as they were worshiping uh, near the end of the service, she noticed um, this younger couple seated a few rows in front of them. <clears throat> and, and, and she felt this prompting from the Lord to go up after the service and to just ask them if there was anything they needed. And so she did that. She said, I was just, I felt the Lord prompting me to come up and just see if you guys needed anything. Well, that conversation resulted in a cool relational connection where they have now sat in church together. They've gone out for lunch, pouring into each other's lives, getting to know each other. I mean, all of that happened because someone said yes to a gentle prompting of the spirit of truth, something, a prompting that she could have easily said no to, but instead she said yes. All of that happened because of her willingness to say yes. I mean, well, what does it look like for truth to be a crucial part of our relationships. It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. It looks like us humbling ourselves and allowing Jesus to speak to our hearts, his truth. And it looks like us sharing truth with others in a way that reflects how Jesus would share that truth. Not using it as a weapon to condemn and bring death but rather sharing it from a heart that longs for this person to experience fullness of life in Christ. Friends, let's let the truth of Jesus permeate our relationships and pour life into them. All right, let's pray together. So I want to invite you as we're praying, we're in an attitude of prayer. I want to invite you to close your eyes and I want, I want to lead you in a, in a little prayer exercise to respond to this message and to let God personally speak to you from this passage of scripture in this message. So again, I'd like you to close your eyes and I want to invite you to imagine, we're going to use our imagination a little bit. <clears throat> imagine yourself in this story as one of the religious leaders. 
So imagine you're standing there holding a stone, but the person you're judging is not the woman in the story, but it's someone in your life that you have struggled with relationally. Okay, so you've got that in your mind. You're holding the stone. You're judging this person in your life that you've struggled with. And then now I want you just, as you're standing there, you hear Jesus say, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And all the other religious leaders leave, but you stay there. So you're standing there. And imagine that Jesus, with a heart of love, he looks directly at you. What does Jesus want you to do with that stone? Take a moment and and do whatever it is that he wants you to do. Now, what does Jesus want to give you in exchange for that stone? And let him, let him do that. Now, imagine that Jesus welcomes you over and you both are standing there beside this person. So how does your heart feel towards this person? And what would it look like for you to embody the truth of Jesus towards this person? Jesus Would you help us be people of truth? Forgive us for any way that we have weaponized truth and damaged people with truth. Help us open our hearts to your truth for us. Before we ever go to someone else, help us open our hearts and have our hearts open to your truth being spoken to us. And then help us lovingly bring that truth to others especially life-giving, encouraging things that you want us to pour into people around us. Help us bring that truth more than we're bringing the, the other truth. Would you help us bring that truth? Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear the words of life and truth that you want us to share with others. And we pray that as a result, we would experience deepening relational connection. We would be the family that you long for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone. Our, our conver- it is time for us to talk about um, the, the sermon and some yeah. of the things that were brought up and the places that, um, that are potent, the things that have been, been kind of hard yeah. or stuff like that. So, so, so I'm just going to open it up by... Just uh, something I was thinking about, and uh, Pastor Owen talked about um, about about a truth that brings death and a truth that brings life. Yeah. 
And um, the, the thing I was thinking about is, could, so truth is truth. And could the same truth bring death? And could the same truth bring life? And it, uh, going on the idea of practices, should someone have a practice uh, of how to tell a truth? Mm. Um, so if there's truth, it's very easy to say that. It is very hard to say truth to bring life, especially if it's a hard truth. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I was just thinking about that. No, I think that's such a great point. And that's been my own journey probably as a leader where many times I <clears throat> I feel like I've brought, more recently brought people in to say, okay, help coach me in this conversation I need to have um, because I tend to be just speak the truth um, and then pick up the relational damage later. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have personally lived that where I've seen what truth does damage it does and then in another context when i bring it in a totally different way um it is received completely differently yeah i wonder okay let me take that just a, a half step further i'm like, scared <clears throat> maybe rephrase what you're asking because i think it to me the question is is truth is truth still truth if it's presented terribly with a lack of like kind of what you talked about in your message like with a lack of concern for the other person but like you said somebody coming like i've had i've done that myself i said listen the truth has to be known i'm telling the truth boom yeah i mean it's still truth maybe but it's not beneficial right it's not helpful yeah yeah i mean i think it's it, yeah like you said there's a nuance there it's it is truth but it's not the complete picture of truth. If, yeah. if truth is embodied in Jesus, then... The but it could be the complete picture of truth, but it isn't... Oh, man. I, so true is true. But I think how it's presented doesn't cause it to be true or untrue. Right. It's in the... Coming from the body of Christ... Mm -hmm. Even the hardest truths bring things back from the dead or something like that. It's yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. I think it impacts the respond, the person's response. Right. Or the ability to, the to even hear it. You're right. The ability to hear the truth, which has huge implications in our culture, obviously, when no one is really listening very well to anyone else because everyone's shouting. And so, yeah, I, I think it's helpful to view truth because I think far too often we just think of it as words like like it's just a statement huh when i feel like it's so much more dynamic mm -hmm. than that like you know like yes were the was the truth declared yes but but if the truth is active if the truth is christ if christ is the truth we we talk about that that's one of the same right is it really the truth of christ when it's just thrown on the table yeah. right it's and certainly not know. embodied yeah yeah it's, you're right. It doesn't reflect the embodiment of truth that Jesus yeah. is. So one of the things that um, I wanted to bring up too was um, 
the exercise at the end for me was was really powerful. Um, and and here's 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 where I come from, and it's because this uh, Christian young Christian boy, this this Bible school student, was always in his ingrained in his mind that the Pharisees, oh, those guys don't know what they're doing, right? Like we're one, they're just they're, they're those are the bad guys. Anybody who reads their New Testament knows oh, those guys, right? Um, and if I'm completely honest, it was hard for me to put myself there. Mm. You know, it's hard for me to say I am that guy but I am that guy, right? Mm. Any, and, and, and I've often thought, um, probably not often enough, but I've often thought that any time that I think I'm not that guy, I am that guy, <laughs> you know? But just to think about like that moment of that story in John 8 that you shared, um, I don't know if there's another place in scripture where we see the humility of, of this group like we do in that moment. And that's simply what Christ asked from us. Like that is, you talk about truth. Like truth is knowing your own, um, your own truth, right? Mm-hmm. And the and the your own sin and your own depravity and and all of that. Yep. Right. And it has yeah. to start from there. Because if if it doesn't start from there, then all we are is just shooting out truth all over the place, like we talked about, mm-hmm. right? But like you're saying, it just has to come from that place of like you talked about last week, vulnerability of honesty about ourselves. Yeah, and that's a hard place to go. Yeah, that's a really hard place to go. We don't like to go there, Mm-mm. you know? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also, for me, I grew up a, a good old Calvinist, Christian Reformed, you know, so I knew my tulip and I knew that, you know, the, de- the total depravity of, and I don't like to stay there, right? That's the other thing, like we, we talk Christ community, we're all about God's grace, right? And his forgiveness. And yes, that's true. And let me just throw this out there on this topic, if that's okay. Like, isn't there some aspect that we do need to stay in that place to some extent of recognizing our own shortcomings, particularly as it relates to this, you know? Because how can we offer somebody truth if we don't accept it? Uh, I was thinking Similarly, um, that you brought up the the passage from um, that that Jesus talked about yep. the speck of sawdust mm, and right. the plank, and um, I if if I'm going to have someone t- take out a speck of sawdust in my eye, the ability to have it being taken out by someone who had a plank in their eye, mm. that would be incredible. Hmm. Because that person <laughs> had a bazillion <laughs> specks of sawdust right. compound, and they got it out, and they've been there. They yeah. know, and they could see, they could see a speck before it became a plank. Mm-hmm. And so, so mm. I think in that mm, that the idea of shortcoming to a superpower type of a thing, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that the vulnerability to s- say, so I understand the place that that mm. sawdust came from. Um, oh, that's powerful. That It's that humility you talk about. Right. If we had that approach with other people, <clears throat> that would make a huge difference in even the way we approach them. If yeah. we have a story of a large amount of sawdust in our own eye and that that totally changes how we approach them. Yeah. 
And it's that heart to speak the truth. Yep. <laughs> like, I, I see the truth here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's something really mm. beautiful there. Because, like, the idea of truth, the truth is going to set you free. Exactly. Yeah. Our goal isn't to put people in cages. It's to, like, drop the keys of truth everywhere so it sets people free and Hmm. and if our truth puts people in cages it probably isn't the whole thing it's probably a half Hmm. halfsies yeah or something you know it's so true man And, and like okay sorry i'm just there are all these things i mean like so you have Pilate, and you have Jesus, and Pilate asks, tell me the point. Tell yeah. me, why true? are you here? Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus at that point could have, here it is. Here's my big proclamation to right. everyone, son of God, atonement. But he says, I have come to testify to the truth, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And the ability to call ourselves the body of Christ and to testify to the things that are true, that, that, that also is to shed the things that are untrue. And there are tons of things about us that are simply untrue. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, gosh, like... Like this is this is obviously a totally different message, but another thing that we talk a lot about is are those untruths, right? And we coming against like what the enemy says about us, right? And the enemy wants to, and, and how shame tears us down, right? Um, and how thinking about in those moments that I've been, and I know many you guys have been in as well, but like how does Christ, how does God the Father or the Holy Spirit come to us when He wants to speak truth? to us. Mm. That's good. It's, it's quite often in a gentle way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's quite often in a, in a still voice that is saying, son, I love you. I am for you. I am with you. You know, yes, you are broken, but you are mine. You know, those kind of things. Um, and kind of like thinking through sharing truth with somebody else from that perspective. Um, you know, you, you, you have conversations with people and say, hey, how do I approach that conversation? It's like, I don't yep. know. Like, it's, it's hard. But I think, I think the things that we're talking about have a lot to do with, like, just listen. Like, for me, one thing that I was thinking about as we, were, as we were talking is just, like, for me, that conversation has to begin with my plank. Yep. You know? It has to begin with, um, like if I'm talking to my one of my boys or, or one of my girls, one of my kids, and, and I'm presenting truth to them, I'm going to start by saying, listen, I've messed up a bunch. And I, I have struggled in, in different areas. And I, I want to come alongside of you and present something that I've seen in you that I, I, I want to join hands with you and walk through together, mm-hmm. you know? It's not a, it, you know, because when we, when we often picture the picture of Jesus and John, or that story in John 8, we, I imagine that the, the religious leaders have, are standing up, like, on a higher level, mm-hmm. right, than um, the woman who is at a lower level, 
yeah. right? And to me, I wonder how much of it is just about like <laughs> we are in this together, man. Like we are we are both um, broken people. I think sometimes too the. <clears throat> when we speak the truth to ourselves, sometimes that truth, it's not just, um, oh, I've done the same thing that I'm going to confront them about. <clears throat> sometimes it's it's helping us explore why am I yeah. so forced? Why am I going to confront this in mm. my wife or in someone? It's like yeah. there's something in me that's probably not healthy <clears throat> that's even making this such a big deal. You know what I mean? And so that's where it's letting Jesus speak to me about my own, the own posture of my heart and maybe ask that question, why am I making a big deal? Maybe it is legitimate. I need to talk. Maybe I don't, you know, maybe it's something going on in me. So I wonder if um, that's also a part of that beginning with the truth to ourselves could really reframe the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the idea of someone hates something, there's like a seed in there that... Yes. It's like very obvious to everyone else that so-and-so brings that up quite a lot. So-and-so gets really angry about that quite a lot. (laughs) So-and-so has an issue. Like, it's, you know, so, um, Yeah. yeah. It's true. Yeah. Got, I'm sure when yeah. I've blur- there have been stabbed, but when I've blurted something out and everyone's thinking that, Alan's got something going on. <laughs> There's something going on. Okay, <laughs> he needs so to deal with it. No. So turning the corner a bit, that the, the thing you said about speaking the truth doesn't always have to be something bad. Yeah. That was gigantic. In mm. fact, I would say it should be very common oh, to speak the truth. Has it been uh, so t- times that I tell people something like I will compliment them, I'll I'll share a story about them, and they get shy and they're like, "Oh, thanks for saying that," but I'll say, "But it's the truth," yeah. a- a- and it's it's at that time that they'll like pause and then they'll say, "Thank you." Yeah. Uh, so I've seen that pattern so it isn't a compliment mm. i'm not trying to i didn't I even tell people I'm, I'm totally not saying this to affirm you i, I don't affirm i don't that's not who i am <laughs> I, I, I am someone who i like truth, hinge yeah. on the truth that if i yeah. say something i believe it to be true yeah. and there's just if people in the church could see people how god sees them and speak the truth to them. That's what powerful. a gift. Oh, gosh, yeah. What a gift. That's powerful. Because I could totally see when you use that language, it changes, it elevates it in the person's mind. Otherwise, oh, this is just KJ, that we dismiss it. Right. But when you attach it, this is true. This is absolutely true of you. Mm. That changes yeah. the weight of what you've said. Right. That's cool. I, I think sometimes it kind of what your initial, the initial response to that sometimes is kind of what we were referring to earlier. It's just like, I don't know that I believe that to be true, <laughs> you right. know? So I need you, yes, more than just affirmation, I need you to affirm that it's truth because I can hear it all I want. But in the back of my mind or five to 10 minutes later, I'll have other voices in my heart or in my head saying, man, that's not really true, you know? And well, yeah, you speaking that 
truth is. Yeah, yeah it, it makes me think of Colossians 3.16, where it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you, right? Sort of the word of Christ dwell in you is another translation. So it's like, let let the message of Christ. And then it says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Like, what the heck is that about? Yeah. We're not seeing... Speaking to We're each not, other. Right. Right. Songs. Yeah. So we don't usually sing songs of condemnation. I mean, there's pointing out, you know, it's, it, it must mm. be worse. It must be something about the gospel, the message, the good news that yeah. we are to be communicating to one another in a way that is life giving. <sighs> but why is it we always think speaking the truth in love means I'm pointing out something and I got to have a hard conversation? I, I always, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Apostle Paul. So every time he's about to say something in his epistles, you always, so I think fondly of you. Mm-hmm. I'm proud mm-hmm. of you. Great job. Like, for, starts for, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I also think that sometimes can p- people say things that, that are very, very untrue about a person that are positive that causes the things that are true to be to be hard to accept because of flattery because I've been affirmed because I've I've been built up yeah. and it's like people say that all the time people say that all the time but to be very intentional about the compliments yeah. to be very intentional about um that, that that it isn't just something that you just throw out all the time. Like compliments from you. So I hold on to those. Yep. They're valuable to me. Um, they aren't something I get all the time. So they're valuable. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's also a um, because we can be guarded at times, we don't give everybody that permission mm. as well. Yeah, you know, um, for whatever reason, like we don't allow ev- everyone. Like, or say we're at church on a on a regular Sunday, we don't, we won't. If somebody just comes up to us and affirms or speaks truth to us, we're just like, well, you don't really know me, so it can be easily discarded, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that being said, it's also important to hear those things from the people that know you and love you the most. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yep. That was good. Cool. That was fun. Okay, everybody. Have a fantastic day or evening. Have fun. See you guys.